Amen. Well, I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and uh, just remind you that uh, several weeks ago we started a, uh, a study through uh, 1 Thessalonians and we're going to continue that. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to be kind of broken up here and there and so we had a, a very important day, uh, Easter Sunday last Sunday and then Palm Sunday uh, the week before that, but uh, we're back at it once again. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking uh, basically at the whole chapter, but be, uh, be beginning right here in verse 2. As we look at this, we're reminded in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 that uh, here it is, the Apostle Paul gives an introduction uh, of himself, or greetings of himself, not an introduction, but uh, as he uh, greets the church, gives us kind of salutations, and then uh, goes right off into telling the church that he's thankful uh, for them. And so uh, as we look at that, we'll just be uh, uh, reminded that we need to be thankful uh, for our church. But he lists off here and really begins to uh, just spend the rest of the chapter of uh, talking about why he is thankful for the church. And you know, when we begin to look at that, there's a lot of different reasons of why uh, we should be thankful for the church. But when it comes down to it, the bulk of what he's saying right here is he's thankful to the church for for each individual Christian, and not just specifically for them, for the fact that they're a church, and not just for the fact that they're Christians, but for the fact of their character, amen? And so, you know, when we begin to understand that, begin to look at that, what we need today uh, in the world in which we live in is we need Christian character. We need men and women of God with Christian character that stand up and does the work that God has called them to do because of their character. So when we begin to think about character and begin to understand understand character uh, we understand the reason why they have the character in which they have and the reason why Paul was so thankful for the church in uh, Thessalonica he tells him uh, there in verse 2 he says we give thanks to God always uh, for for you all uh, making mention of you in our prayers and so why was he thankful first of all he's thankful for the very fact in which they were saved he's thankful for the fact uh, that they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior and so you know, you look there in verse 2, chapter 2 rather, in uh, verse 13, he says, for this reason we also also constantly thank God. So here another reason he thanks God. He says, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, uh, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so he thanked God for the very fact in which when they they heard the word of God. They heard it. They said, this is truth. This is absolute truth. We believe this. It's not the word of man. It's not man's ideas or man's ways or something that, uh, you know, some new, uh, some new wave of religion that's coming about. But this is the very word of God. And so he's thanking God that they accepted the word of God as for what it was. And as a result of that, you know, it's by faith that were saved and it was the faith in the gospel message in which they heard and they believed on that gospel message and by that very fact that they were saved. He's also thankful to them for their salvation in verse 4 of chapter 1. It, it, it says right there that, that it begins to understand that they were 
thankful for them. It says, knowing, brethren, a beloved of God, his choice of you, that he, he, he chose them. Of course, God chooses everybody. Amen? It's not God's will that even one should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And then he goes on verse 4. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so they heard the word of God. They heard the word of God preached. They believed the word of God. They believed the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Then, as we see there in chapter 1, verses 4, verse 5, he says that the power of the Holy Spirit came. It didn't come to you in word only, but also with the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, with their full conviction, right? Uh, so, so God didn't move in such a way. I, I hear people say sometime today, let's just claim all of Salem community to be saved, right? Let's just claim it all. We're going to claim this whole community to be saved. Well, that presents for us a problem. First of all, there has to be the preaching of the gospel. There has to be the hearing of the gospel, and there has to be the faith in the gospel. Yes, it comes the power of the Holy Spirit that falls down upon them, but you know what they also have to have? They also have to have full conviction that the Word of God is true. Amen? You can't just speak somebody into salvation. That's unbiblical. And so when we look at that, the Apostle Paul preached the Word of God. He preached the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They believed the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit fell down upon them. They had full conviction and they were saved. Saved by faith through grace. And so when we begin to understand that and recognize that, that is one of the things that the Apostle Paul very clearly mentioned that he was thankful to them for is for the very fact that they were saved. And, and, and it was a work that they didn't do, but it was a work that God did in them. And it's also a work that God did in them to produce character. And so as we begin to recognize the character of which they had, what kind of character they have, he says there in verse 3, he says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And so here it is that they had work. They had not only work, but they also had a labor. Uh, and not only did they had this labor they had this steadfastness and so when we begin to recognize this work and this labor and this steadfastness what is the result of work or what is the reason for work why is it that people work you say well everybody says well people work that you know to, to make a living people work to put a roof over their head people work to put food over uh, put food on their table but what makes somebody a worker because, you know, any employer will tell you there's people who work and then there's workers. <laughs> Amen. And there's a difference between people who work just to earn a paycheck because they have no other choice. They don't want to starve. Right. And a worker, somebody who truly loves to work. Somebody's heart and desire and passion is there into working and they love the work. You know, there's there's uh, folks that are disabled today and, and they're disabled. They're no longer able to do the work that they used to do, but they're hard. You know, they feel guilty about it, even though they 
can't do it. They still want to do it. And they feel guilty about not being able to do it. And, and so that is a worker right there. That is somebody that has within them a character of working. And, and they, they have this characteristic that draw, this character within them that, that, that drives them and instills in their heart to be that worker. And so what is that? Now, on the flip side of that coin, there's also folks with other type of character that care less about work. <laughs> right? They don't want to work. They have absolutely no desire whatsoever to work. Somebody came by the church a, you know, a couple of months ago, and as they came by the church, they were in need, and you know, took them over here to the food pantry, and we're over here talking a little bit. And you know, I love to help folks out, and I praise God that we're a church that loves to help folks out. We'll help anybody out, and so it came along, just giving us the poor mouth about how how hard times are, and yes, we're living in hard times. And and then he goes off and he tells me, he says, you know, nobody's hiring. I said, excuse me? <laughs> Nobody's hiring. You know anybody that's hiring? I said, yeah, everybody's hiring. If you can't find a job right now, you're not looking for a job. Amen. Everybody's hiring. Everybody. Every store you go to, there are help on it signs on there. I mean, they are begging for workers. They'll pay you $20 an hour to work at Burger King now. Amen. I mean, to, 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 to just, just have the, the, the basic job there. And so they, they are begging for workers. They need workers. And so when we look at this and begin to think about this, you know, if you're not looking, if you're not, you're not willing to work, work you're not going to find work but if you have a heart and desire to work you're going to find work even when they're not hiring amen that might not be the job you want but it's going to be something amen and so when we think about this, what, what's the difference? One has a character, one has a drive, one has a zeal within them, something moving them towards doing that work to where say, I am not satisfied with sitting at home and doing nothing, right? Years ago I used to say, you know, sitting at home uh, watching the soap operas. I don't know if they still have soap operas on or not, but what, uh, uh, sometime one, one day a man came up to me and said, I just want you to know that we're not just sitting at home watching uh, soap operas i said you're not he said no we're watching the price is right amen so he had to he had to <laughs> correct me uh, on that one and, and you know there's nothing wrong with having some relaxation time and having some downtime but you know if if there's not a zeal within your heart especially when we're talking about here the church when we're talking about christians when we're talking about the body of christ there's not a zeal within your heart to do something to for the kingdom of god then something's wrong amen something's wrong and so is the character that work no that's not the character that's as a result as the fruit what is the the character here that we find again let's look at verse three and as we look at verse three the verse three we see um the, the work that 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 is mentioned but why does they why do they work he says work a work of faith constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and so when we look at this, it also says a labor of love. And then he goes on and says, and steadfastness of hope. And so when we think about this, what we find here is the character. We find faith 
as a character. We find hope as a character. We find love as a character. So these three, faith, hope, and love, these are characters within, characteristics within the life of the Christian, within the life of the body of Christ, within the church of Thessalonica. And so Paul is saying, you know, when I hear about your faith, when I hear about your love, and when I hear about your hope, and I hear about what is being produced, your your, your uh, work because of your faith, your your labor because of your love and your your steadfastness because of your hope. Those are that's the fruit of it. That is the result of it. And so when we think about that, when we begin to understand that there is a character that drives us to do what we do, but at the same time, on the flip side of that coin, a lack of character will drive us to do nothing. Amen? And so what we need within our body of Christ, what we need in the whole world today, is we need individuals with Christian character. We need the church with Christian character. And here, he specifically points out that Christian character of faith, hope, and love that we find in so many places throughout Scripture. Amen? Of faith, hope, and love that we find throughout the Word of God. And, and so when we begin to look at this, when we begin to think about uh, that, that faith, we begin to think about that hope, we begin to think about that love, we begin to understand it is the character, that faith that leads to work. Amen? Because of the faith that I have in who Jesus Christ is, it's going to lead me to work. So as we begin to think about this and begin to understand, here it is that the Apostle Paul, he outlines this throughout the rest of Scripture. And because of their faith, he says there in verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything he said they're macedonian and achaia even the whole world they have heard about your faith they've heard about what god is doing in you they have heard the work that is going on there in thessalonica and that work that is going on in thessalonica is not staying in thessalonica it's going out to the whole world and we've heard about your faith throughout the whole world and so when we begin to talk about that character of faith that character of faith that drives them to work that character of faith that says that i'm not going to keep my faith bottled up within me and not let a single soul know about it but that character of faith that says I'm going to go tell the whole world about Jesus everybody that I see every man that I meet every woman that I meet every child that I meet they're going to know that I am a child of God a born again believer in Jesus Christ that's sealed in the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption why? because of the faith that I have the faith that I have in Jesus ought to produce in me works that I do for Jesus. And so as that faith that I have in Jesus then produces works that I have for Jesus that gives him all of the glory and all of the honor because it all results into this very thing. If this is true, if this book is true, that God is really God and that God really spoke forth creation and that God truly 
set things in motion and, and, and set all of creation in six days just by, by, by the work of his powerful hand and speaking things forth where God said, let there be light. And there was light. If God is that powerful, if God is that sovereign, if God is that mighty, and to be able to do that, if God truly did take dust from the earth, dirt from the earth and fashion it into the form of a man and breathe life into that man, if God truly put that man to sleep and he took forth from him a rib and he fashioned it into a woman and he gave that woman to him and presented to him as his wife. If God really did that, if God really spoke to them and said be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth and they did and nations were formed and the nations were scattered, if God truly did set aside his own special nation for the very specific purpose of bringing about a Messiah, bringing about a Christ that was going to not only be the Savior of the world, but His very own Son. And if God really did bring about His Son that was born of a virgin, that was born into this world as a sinless man and who lived out a perfect life that ultimately led Him to the cross. And if Jesus Christ truly did die on that cross and He was buried and three days later through the power of God he rose up from the grave as the first fruit of the resurrection then friend how can I keep that to myself and if I truly did hear the gospel and my wretched soul was saved through putting my faith in Jesus Christ by the hearing of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit was enacted in me and I had the full conviction that that is the absolute truth and nothing but the truth, how can I keep that from myself? Because if God saved my soul from hell, He needs to save everybody else's soul from hell as well. And I can't be silent about it and I have to go out and tell the world. Amen? Because we, we look at the church the wrong way sometimes. We look at the church sometimes as a fortress. And as we look at the church as a fortress, we come into the church house what are we doing in the church house? We're, we're hiding from all of the evil, wicked ways of the world. But friends, that's not what God's designed the church to be. He hasn't designed the church to be a fortress. Instead, he's designed the church to be a factory. And that factory is there to produce Christians. They're going to stand up in the name of Jesus Christ to be the workers that go out and turn this world upside down in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the whole world had heard about their faith. The faith of those Christians in Thessalonica. The whole world had heard about them. See, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, chapter seven, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, he says the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. And sometimes we get that all wrong. We think that the gates of hell are on the offensive, that they're coming after the church, they're going to attack the church. No, that's not the case at all. What is gates? Why are gates there? Gates are kept, uh, are for the most part, there to keep others out. So the gates of hell is there to keep the kingdom of God out. And you know what Jesus was saying right there? The gates of hell can't stand up to a church that is out there working in the name of Jesus Christ. And we can go and kick those gates down in the name of Jesus. Amen? 
We get so upset and perplexed over the ways of the world, but friends, real question is, what are we doing about it? And do we have a type of Christian character of faith that will cause us to rise up and truly stand up in the occasion? I'm not trying to tell you it's easy. And I'm not trying to tell you everybody's going to love you and accept you and accept the message. We looked back at Acts chapter 17 when Paul preached to Thessalonica. These individuals heard the gospel. These individuals believed the gospel. These individuals had full conviction of it. But the majority of the, per, of the people there uh, ran Paul and Silas out of town. Amen? But it didn't stop them. They kept on going on. They went on to the next town. Amen? And they went to the next town and to the next town. But praise God, enough there heard the gospel, believed the gospel, received the gospel, and were saved by the gospel with that full conviction. And there started a church to where not only it had an impact upon the city of Thessalonica, but the whole world. Amen? What an amazing thing that that truly is. Then he goes on and begins to talk about, in verse 3, he says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, the whole world's heard about, and your labor of love, talks about. Labor of love. We work as a result of our faith because, you know, if you have faith, you can't be still. Amen? You can't sit still. You can't. If you know there's something that can be done about it, you're going to get up and get after it. Amen? You cannot be still. And there's another reason you work. There's another reason you labor. Because of the character of love that's instilled within your heart. The character of love is instilled within your heart, that labor of love that is instilled within you. And you know, as a result of that labor of love, here it is that the Apostle Paul, we saw there in Acts chapter 17 that the Apostle Paul, what did he do? He went into the synagogues, and as he went into the synagogue, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, something that they were allowed to do back then, the Gentiles were allowed to do, they couldn't come into the synagogue, they couldn't enter into the synagogue because they were Gentile, but they could sit around the outside of the synagogue. Now the Jews, they would come into the synagogue, they would sit, they would listen uh, to the preacher preach, they'd listen to the rabbi, to the teacher, and so this instant they were listening to the Apostle Paul, and so uh, and the, and, and the, the Gentiles were allowed to sit on the outside, and so of course they didn't you know, have closed in windows, closed in doors like we do now, it was very opened up, and so the message was about, able to go out of the building and so those sitting right on the outside of the building those Gentiles they were able to hear the gospel preached and as they were able to hear the gospel preached they discovered something you know what we're not allowed to go inside of that synagogue but it's okay because I just heard about a Jesus who's going to save my soul and I can enter into the very presence of God because of that very Jesus amen 
I can enter into the very presence of God and boldly approach the throne of grace. Here it was, it was these Gentiles that heard the gospel. There were some Jews that were saved too, but it was mostly Gentiles. And it says there in verse 9 of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and having uh, and, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. You turned from idols. You, you turned from uh, the wicked ways in which you were living, the, 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 the ways in which you were living that were leading you to the path of hell. But when you heard the gospel, you received the gospel. When you heard that it was by faith through grace that you could be saved, even though you lived that pagan life, even though you pursued those pagan ways, you heard about Jesus and you repented of those ways and you turned to Jesus and Jesus loved you enough to save you and now because you learned the fact that he loved you enough to die for you and he loved you enough to save you you now love him enough to live for him and labor for him amen and now that labor of love that is produced within your life and now is in action because he saved you from your sins and that labor of love. You know, this reminds me of Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, we find a glorious story. There is Jesus is invited into a house of a Pharisee in kind of the same manner as a rabbi or the teacher. He's invited into the house of the, the Pharisee, only a select group of people. People were to allowed to be at the house, or they were really, really probably out in the courtyard of the house. But uh, anybody in town, anybody that wanted to come, they could sit outside of the house, out on the streets, or surrounding the house, to where they too could hear the message of the teacher. Now they weren't allowed to come into the courtyard, they weren't allowed to come into the house, but they could sit out on the streets and they could listen. And so here it is: this particular Pharisee invited. Jesus to come and recline with him at the dinner table. He hadn't even got to the teaching part yet and it was time for them to eat and so apparently some folks were already starting to gather up because they heard that Jesus was there. They wanted to hear the message that Jesus had to say but here was this particular woman. She saw the great disrespect that this particular Pharisee had towards Jesus. He didn't greet Jesus with a kiss which was coming. He didn't have even his lowliest of sermon, uh, servants washed the feet of Jesus as he reclined at the table which was common uh, custom it was almost like refusing to shake somebody's hand or refusing to take somebody's coat or refusing to welcome them to your house just you know just a, a, a great disrespect to them and one of the women within uh, the, those who were not allowed in the house she wasn't supposed to enter that house she wasn't supposed to enter that courtyard but she's saw this great disrespect that was going on towards Jesus and she said I'm not having it so she just kind of bursts on into the scene she doesn't ask anybody can I come am I welcome she knew she wasn't welcome amen but she didn't care because it was the love that she had towards Jesus that said I don't care what anybody else thinks about me I don't care what anybody else does to me I'm going to go in there and give 
Jesus is due respect. Why? Because I love him and I know that he's worthy. And so what did she do? She went in there and the first thing she did, she took her hair down. Now the Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. And you know, as she took her hair down, that was considered to be a very dishonorable thing in that day and time for a woman to take her hair down in public. But she did. She didn't care what they thought about her. She wanted to give Jesus that respect in which he was due. And she started wiping his feet with her tears and with her hair. She broke open an expensive jar of perfume and just poured it out on Jesus and started wiping his feet with it. And so when this Pharisee saw all that, he he said to himself, and speak it out loud, he said to himself, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't allow her to touch her. Well, Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman this was. He'd already cast demons out of her. He had already set her on the right path. She had already put her faith and trust in Jesus. And because of what Jesus did to this woman who, yes, was a vile sinner, she loved Jesus for it. And she bowed down at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair, with her glory. With her glory. She wiped the feet of Jesus. And with that expensive bottle of perfume, she broke it right open, poured it over his feet with her tears of gratitude. The very fact of who he was. Jesus knew who she was. And Jesus said to these words, he said, For those who have been forgiven little loves little. But those who have been forgiven much loved much. Oh, she had been forgiven much. See, the Pharisee was under the mistaken impression that he was a righteous man. But Jesus was more harsh to the Pharisees than he was anybody else. Called them sons of hell. (laughs) Told them they brood of vipers. Oh, they were in need of much forgiveness. They just didn't know it. Now, she also was in need of much forgiveness, but she knew it, and when Jesus gave it to her, she loved him. Friends, every one of us are in need of much forgiveness. Most of us here today, no doubt, has already received that forgiveness. As a result, we ought to love Jesus with every fiber of our being. Give to him anything that we think is glory and just lay it down at his feet because he's the only one worthy of glory. Amen? He and he alone. Then this last one right here as we look back at verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Faith that results in the work. Your labor of love, love that causes you to labor, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of our God and Father. Steadfastness of hope. Oh, they were in a very harsh environment. 
place that we'd already seen where great persecution had taken place at their very conception as a church. When Paul and Silas was only there two weeks and a great riot breaks out, one of their own gets arrested and they, Paul and Silas gets driven out of town, has to go to the next town and the one they arrest, they let go, but they threaten them, you better not tell anybody about Jesus again. You better not do that. And he knew what the consequences were. But what did they do? Did they cower down in fear? Did they stop? Did they say, well, we reject Jesus? No, they kept on pressing on all the more. Amen? Their steadfastness of hope because of their hope in Jesus Christ, because of that hope that they had in the person of Jesus Christ, they were steadfast because of that character of hope within them. They say, you can do what you want to do to me. You can kill me. You can torture me. You can imprison me. You can do whatever you want to do to me, but I'm not going to stop trusting in Jesus. I'm not going to stop pursuing Jesus because my hope is in Jesus. Jesus Christ. Brother Aaron read this morning one of my favorite scriptures is found right there in uh, Titus chapter 2 and as we look there in Titus chapter 2 we find uh, just one of the greatest scriptures in verse 13 looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? It is the appearing of the Son of God. It is the appearing of Jesus Christ it is his second coming we have that blessed hope that regardless of how bad things get regardless of how wicked things get regardless of how vile this world turns and how adamantly they turn against Jesus and against the church and those who profess their faith in him we have the blessed hope that Jesus is coming back and even if I die today guess what to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord so I don't have a single thing in this world that I have to worry about because I have the blessed hope in Jesus Christ. Look there at verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and he says, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is to come. I don't have to worry about, listen, there is not a thing in this world that you could do to me that is compared to the wrath that is to come and not only that, I have love to Towards him because he saved me even though I deserve the wrath to come and my faith in him is strong and so regardless of what you say regardless of what you do I'm going to stand up and be the worker that God has called me to do because I have hope in the person of Jesus Christ I don't have hope in this world I don't have hope in this present age I don't have any hope in any political system I have hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? He is my hope. He is my blessed hope. He and He alone. Don't put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in the members of this church. Don't put your hope in Baptists. Don't put your hope in anyone else. Put your hope in Jesus. Well, to be proud to be members of Mill Creek Baptist Church because we have that character. reason why I can be proud to say I'm a Baptist because I know what they stand for. And if they didn't stand for that, then I'd just call myself a Christian. I don't know what I'd call myself. Just call myself a Christian. Amen? That's who, what I am. That's who I am. 
And so when we think about that, my hope is in Jesus. In Jesus alone. We understand that there was a church in Corinth. Some of them thought they were super saints because they had certain spiritual gifts and Paul peeled a little bit of bark off their trees and kind of scaled them down a little. So not only are you not super saints, you're not even mature. <laughs> and so when we begin to think about that, he goes, he talks about what spiritual gifts are in chapter 12, and then in chapter 13, he talks about what the greatest of all is, and that is love. And then he goes on and tells us how to use spiritual gifts in chapter 14. But in chapter 13, beginning in verse 9, it says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Who's the perfect? That's Jesus, friend. He's the perfect. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, Think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have fully been known. I don't know everything there is to know today. Neither do you, neither does anybody else. So if today we know as we're fully known, well then tell me when Jesus is coming back. Well, nobody knows when Jesus is coming back exactly. We don't know everything there is to know just yet. But what are we to do? He goes on to tell us there in verse 13. But now faith, hope, and love. Abide in these three. The greatest of these is love. You go back to 1 Thessalonians, go all the way to the last chapter of the book in verse 5, chapter 5 rather, verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, hope, and love. That was the defining character of the Christians in Thessalonica. That ought to be our defining character today. Amen. And if that is your defining character, character produces. Whether it's good character or bad character, if you have bad character, it's going to produce too. It's just going to stink. <laughs> Amen? But if you have good character, it's going to produce what's good. Faith's going to produce works. Your love is going to strive 
for you to labor. And your hope says, bring it on. I'm not stopping. (laughs) Amen? I'm not giving up. I've already read the end of the book, and I already know we win. Not only that we will win, guess what? For those who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've already won. You already have the victory in Jesus Christ. We're of the day, but I want you to understand something. I believe the sun's starting to set. I believe the darkness is about to befall us. We could see those signs all around us. All we labor all the more, we work all the more, and we're all the more steadfast. Friends, if there's ever been a day that you better know that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's that day. Do you know? Do you have that proven character within your heart? I'm not saying you've got to be perfect in it. I'm not perfect in it. There's, Paul wasn't perfect in it. None of us are. It's that proven character that continues to produce and rise up within your life and saying, you know this is the path you need to be on, and I get after it. Amen? Of God being at work within your life, which produces work within your life. If you don't know that you know that you know today that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, would you make that day this day? Today is the day of salvation. Would you come? Right now our praise team is going to come on up here. They're going to play. I'm going to ask you to stand. Everybody's standing. If you're here today and you don't know that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, you can't tell me that Almighty, all-powerful God can enter into the life of a human being and they stay the same. They're the same old, same old, walking the same old life, living the same old life doing the same old things with no change in their life whatsoever. You can't tell me that. First of all, it's unscriptural. It's not biblical. God's not at work in your life because God's not in your life. Today you can come and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can become backslidden. You can slip. You can slide. If that's where you are, friend, you need to get back where you know you need to be. Whatever that decision is on your heart, if you want to join the church this morning, whatever God's putting on your heart, you come. This altar's open for you. Turn that chair into an altar. If you need prayer for anything, you come. But as God stirs in your heart,
I'm here for you. Oh, so are you here.